The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck features non-absorbent closed-cell PE EVA blended foam that delivers the perfect combination of comfort, safety, and style. For more information, check out www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. Your boat deserves SeaDeck. And now, it's showtime. the official voice of Toad Water Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on-water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience, presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast, with the noise of the North himself, oh, yeah. Dano the Mano. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to episode 134 of the Golden Mike Podcast. As always, I am the noise of the North. I'm Daniel the Mano. Where you come from, there's a chance it's pretty cold outside. Now it's time to warm up and enjoy your bi-monthly dose of audio sunshine. Today's episode is brought to you by SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck is the industry leader in innovative flooring solutions, supplying the best boat builders in the world with comfortable, durable, non-skid flooring systems. SeaDeck's not just for new boats either. Any boat, no matter what maker model, deserves SeaDeck. Head over to SeaDeck.com, use the search function to find the nearest fabricator and installer near you. They have hundreds of boats, maybe thousands by now, already digitized with their patterns on file. And if you can't find your exact boat, well, they got you covered there too. A certified SeaDeck installer will come to your house and digitize your boat and create a custom flooring job to your exact specifications. It doesn't get more custom than that. Bottom line, it's 2020 people out with the old (coughs) stinky moldy carpet and in with the now. It's time to give your boat what it deserves and your boat deserves SeaDeck and so do you. All right, everybody, another great show is in store for you today, but I'm guessing you already knew that. We have my good friend, known around Central Florida and Lake Ronix as Old Reliable. I like to consider him Mr. Reliable these days. Jake Pollott is on the podcast today. For those who don't know, Jake is a hybrid rider, in my opinion, excelling at all aspects of wake. He can ride the winch. He's a top contest contender behind the boat as well as under the cable. I mean, top 10 in the WWA, both Wake Park and Wakeboard World Series. I suggest you check out Jake's Instagram for some really good content as well as YouTube and more specifically the Ronix Wakeboard channels. The man is super creative, super stylish, and did I mention super hardworking. In this episode, you'll hear me call him Old Reliable, which at first might sound like an odd Disney-style nickname to give a 21-year-old, but my good friend Eric Ruck coined it in the early days of Lake Ronix because Jake would always show up and do what needed to be done. 
whether it was showing up early and shoveling dirt around the lake or coming to events and helping set up tents or courses or anything really. And he didn't do it because he had to. He did it because he wanted to. And he'd keep coming back again and again. Jake's work ethics are strong and real. And if you ask anyone, they'd all say the same thing. The world needs more Jake Palat. I'm pumped for this one. I can't wait for you guys to learn a thing or two about one of the wake sports industry's top rising stars. I'm talking about Jake Palat. But before we get into all of that, you guys know I try to provide you each and every month with bi-weekly content and ask for nothing in return. But if you ever wanted to give something back, you could always help this podcast gain exposure. Please listen to all the episodes and share the Golden Mike podcast. We're on SoundCloud, Google Podcast, iTunes, Apple Podcast. While you're there, please leave a five-star review if you haven't already done so. You can also listen to all the episodes on my website, noiseofthenorth.com. The big thing here, guys, I need you to share the content. If you're active on social media, Follow the Golden Mike Podcast on Facebook. Follow me personally on Instagram at Dano T. Mano. On Twitter at the Golden underscore Mike. You can stay up to date with all the latest Golden Mike news. And if I post something you like, please feel free to share it with all your friends. The more exposure we get for this show, the more exposure we get for this sport. The bigger the sport, the better it is for all of us. Hey guys, well you know I've been announcing the Performance Ski and Surf Gravel Tour for a long, long time. In fact, 10 years now and I'm excited for this upcoming season. Well, it seems like forever ago it was the first time I saw young Jake Palat's name end up on a rider's sheet. He was a quiet, a humble kid, and he had super rad parents. And even back then, Jake was just a youngster. He was trying to help anywhere he could, whether it was ropes or judging, picking up trash, anything. Guys, he's now riding for the Ronix Pro Team. He shares a signature pro model wakeboard setup with Tyler Heim. It's the supreme wakeboard. It's already been praised by athletes and beginners alike, and we'll talk all about how that board came to be and so much more. It's Mr. Reliable. He's Jake Palat. He's here on the Golden Mike Podcast, and we're going to get to that audio so you all can enjoy it right here, baby, after a quick word from our friends at Ronix. Alongside Jake Palat and Tyler Heim, the Ronix team is filled with some of the most talented riders of past and future of this sport. They have Hall of Famers like Parks Bonifay and Danny Harf riding right alongside promising newcomers like Trent and Gavin Stuckey. And that's because Ronix is dedicated to creating the top of the line products for all levels of riders any style. Ronix continues to raise the bar to new heights while always delivering exceptional quality. Their social media is among the best in the game and you can check them out on Instagram and Twitter at Ronix Wakeboards or online at RonixWake.com. That's R-O-N-I-X-W-A-K-E.com. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the North, Dano the Mano. Down at Lake Ronix, they call him Old Reliable. I call him Mr. Reliable. Jake Palat, welcome finally 
the Golden Mike Podcast, sir. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm pumped to finally make this happen. Can you believe we had to travel all the way across the U.S. and up to the Pacific Northwest to make this thing happen? Hey, it's only fitting that we both left Florida and came to Oregon for it. Have you been traveling a bunch, um, you know, post-wakeboard season 2019 here in the fall going into the winter? So since the season kind of wrapped up, I've been home most of the time. Um, I was home most of October, went to Wakeboard Worlds in Cancun, and then I've been home since then. This is my first trip, um, and we're mid-November now. So Kind of a, a, a needed break. You've been just nonstop this whole year. When, when, did, it, when did the year start for you? Uh, I mean, it started with boat shows. It was a pretty busy boat show year starting in January, and then had a little break in March where I was home, and then April it picked right back up, and it's pretty much go time from then till September. So currently, you're not supported, um, you know, by I don't know. I'm sure boat brands love you, but you don't necessarily have a boat sponsor. So what are you doing at the boat shows? Uh, boat shows, I'm pretty much there for Ronix and uh, you know talking wakeboards with people and surfboards and everything, getting people on the water aside from boats. So just kind of looking back into early boat show season 2019 and then into the summer, um, what what kind of trends were you seeing at the boat shows? And then did you kind of see that overflowing into the summer at all? For sure. Yeah. So one of the things that I've noticed specifically the last two years is wakeboards are strong. People are interested in wakeboarding, which when I first started going to boat shows, a lot of it was really, really wake surf heavy. So for me as a wakeboarder, it's really refreshing to see Everyone excited about wake surfing and skiing as well, but also wakeboarding is, is piquing their interest a lot too. So that's, that's really cool to me to see. And I've seen it a lot on the road in the summer on demos and everything. Everyone wants to wakeboard. So you dabble in a, a little bit of kind of both sides. You, you're a wake park rider and um, a boat rider, but where, where did it all start for you? Because you are from central Florida, you're from am, Orlando. Yeah. So uh, OWC is basically in your backyard, but you also grew up on a lake, right? Exactly. Yeah. So when I was about nine years old, my family moved onto a lake um, in East Orlando, and it just happened to be the same lake as Sean Murray. And at that time, Jerry Nunn was living out there, and there were a few other good wakeboarders on the lake. And that was how I first got exposed to it, was just seeing people out there doing it. And, uh, so for my 10th birthday, I got a wakeboard and we had a jet ski that I learned to ride behind. And my first experience was not a super positive one. My birthday's in the end of October. So by that time it was starting to cool off and I got up, took a hard fall and was like, mm, maybe this isn't for me. But fast forward about a year um, and I had some friends that used to go to OWC all the time. Um, so I was like, all right, well, they were leaving school early one day and I asked my parents if I could leave school early, which was really my main motivation for going to OWC was to get out of school. But I ended up going out there, riding the cable for the first time and loved it. And um, I had a good group of people that loved wakeboarding. They wake skated as well and just loved being on the water. And that kind of motivated me to give it another try. And I fell in love with it from there and was hooked. It's crazy. I remember you riding stuff like gravel tour. And then all of a sudden I come to find out that you're this like excellent cable rider. I mean, borderline, like one of the best in your age bracket on the, on the cable and the wake park, pushing it and stuff. Um, so talk a little bit about the progression from the cable to getting back behind the boat. Yeah. So initially the the cable was the most easily accessible thing for me because 
I could catch a ride with my friend's parents or, you know, if my mom was home, she could take me to OWC and just drop me off. Um, and my dad would pick me up after he got off of work. So I would spend the whole afternoons there. Um, but my first exposure to wakeboarding was seeing Sean Murray and Freddie Wayne wakeboard on Lake Whippoorwill. Um, so I, I knew I wanted to ride boat and my parents ended up getting me for my birthday, a couple lessons with Sean Murray and he kind of introduced me to fundamentals on the boat and I had a lot of fun doing it, but cable was so accessible and I could just go spend the whole day there and it, it was just easy. So I would, I would do that almost every day after school and just go ride with my friends. And there was a good commu community of, uh, Groms at OWC that everyone would just basically be on the same program of after school, get dropped off and hang out all day. And it was kind of just a ritual that I started doing and kept with that for a while. Were you more keen on cable riding than boat riding in the early days? Yeah, I definitely, my initial attraction to wakeboarding was boat. But once I started riding a lot of cable, I started to love it and have more of a passion for cable. And who are the, some of the guys you were in? Like, I think this could almost be like two questions because it's like, who are some of the people that were influencing you? But at the same time, who are some of the people that were influencers riding OWC that you were watching? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the person that I looked up to most semi-obviously would have been Sean Murray because he was the guy. Um, and, but at OWC on a day-to-day -day basis, I would see riders like Julian Cohen and Yanel, who was about the same age as me, but he was a much better wakeboarder than me at that time. And so I looked up to him. Um, and there, there were just a lot of, a lot of late teen, early twenties riders that were just excellent riders. And they were, they were always willing to help you learn new tricks. And that was super motivating to me. So you've got some notable, some notable riders. And now all of a sudden you're jumping into the boat and you're getting the opportunity to, to, to ride with these guys. Um, mom and dad are probably paying for bills and probably, or gas, and they're probably paying for some of the, the time there. Um, but something tells me like knowing you, the fact that you're, old reliable mr reliable that um that those guys probably enjoyed having you out there on the boat but uh, talk a little bit about um about those early days about uh kind of connecting with those guys and becoming one of the boys and what it took yeah so it was it was really uh initially it was very much just a i was the kid on the lake that i would get lessons from sean every now and then um but probably the thing that connected me the most was meeting Aaron Perkins. And he uh, he was working at OWC at the time. He's a great wake skater. And he's one of my best friends now. Um, but we were both in the same boat of we both liked riding boat. We both liked riding cable. So he was working at OWC. And he would he would basically take me to OWC with him. And in, a, in exchange for his gas that he would spend driving to OWC, I would pull him on my family's boat. And so we had a cool trade-off going there, and he lives right over by Sean and grew up with Murray. And um, so that was how I really got introduced to him, was hanging around with Aaron. And from that, I kind of became friends with Sean and, and all those other guys. How long is it before you are getting lessons from Sean to becoming like Sean Murray and those guys to becoming like a riding mate, somebody who just has to bring gas? Um, I distinctly remember... My f last year in boys, I really wanted to just go ride with Sean. And at that point, it was still a, still a, a lesson scenario. Um, but I think I was probably about 14 the first time that 
he just hit me up just to ride and I was ecstatic and uh how does a phone call like that go oh uh, he just he just called me one day and asked if I was around and I was like uh yeah and he's like you want to ride and I was like well I I don't really have the money for a lesson right now and he was like no let's just go ride and I was over the moon excited and um from then on out it was pretty much if we were around we would we would ride together generally and it was so cool to me to have Sean kind of take me under his wing like that and just be such a a cool influence with what you can do as wake, as a wakeboarder when did you know you wanted to be a pro rider and what was it that that kind of flipped that switch that that you know pushed you to to do what it took to get to where you are today so obviously being exposed to riders like Sean and Keith Lyman and Jerry Nunn I was like that's that's cool what they're doing I think the first time it really clicked for me that I wanted to pursue this was uh at a weight games it probably would have been 2009 or 2010 at OWC and I saw the thousands of people that would show up for the event and everyone was all excited about it and there were pro riders everywhere that were all really welcoming to people and and talking to all their fans and it was a really cool experience to to see that and from that point on I was like well I love wakeboarding ideally I would like to be there someday but I never really thought it would happen um so it was uh I just kept wakeboarding because I loved it and it ended up working out pretty well I think one thing and 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 probably people behind the scenes don't know this is you're the first guy and you still are this guy to walk up and offer to help and you don't just offer to help your sponsors now because at one time these guys <laughs> didn't take care of you mm -hmm. I, I mean maybe maybe they sort of did or did whatever but um, it was it was probably being at, at events and stuff and um, giving that extra hand and I want I just I, and I, maybe I don't know exactly how to work but I want you to, to tell me a little bit about that because you go to so many events and there's so many people there but like what was it that uh, like how is it that you're the one who's stopping everything that you're doing and helping but other kids are just being kids you know what was it in your brain that said hey, I have to do this stuff. Yeah, so I I think the biggest influence for me there would have been Aaron Perkins because um, when I was around him, he was well-connected in the industry back when I was first getting into it, and he was always the first one to offer to help people with whatever it was, whether it was Chris Bischoff setting up the site or if it was you know one of the people that supported him at that point. Um, he was always willing to give a helping hand and he, he kind of instilled that in me that it's good to help people. And, and I kind of realized that everyone's really appreciative of it. I'm a busybody. I like to be doing things. I don't want to just sit around all the time. And, uh, and everyone's there for the same reason. We all love water sports. So I think anything that you can do to help people is, is a good thing. Were your motivations ever like, Oh, if I work, if I keep doing this, they're going to take notice. Like, was that what was going through your mind? Um, no, I, I think the biggest thing was I, I just like to be a part of things and I, I like to be involved in, in what people were doing. So, um, I, I don't know if it was ever really, a maybe they'll do something for me if I help them with this. It was more of just, I just love wakeboarding and water sports so much that if I can meet these people and be involved in what they're doing, it was really cool for me. So I loved it. So when and how did it all happen? Be now... Uh, 
you and I went to what the Philippines was it 2016 uh yes was it, okay yeah. so that was that that was a, a a big trip and I mean at that trip I mean you were basically what still in high school just out of high school I that was my first year out of high school yeah and I mean you're you're there representing your brands not only that um competing in the events but you're also um you're working the, <laughs> you're you're at this point you're already working the event I mean you've got to be one of the youngest guys you know out there what judging yeah yeah I was judging at that event yeah so I mean other everybody's taking everybody's taking notice how and how and why did all that uh you know come together and stuff and even even with the judging like how did that all come together um the way that the judging stuff kind of happened was I was just like I said I'm I'm a busybody I don't like to sit around so I was always offering to help out with whatever needed to be done and whether it was judging at a cable event it was sitting in the boat if it was putting up tents whatever i was happy to do it um so the first time i judged might have been that event in the philippines and it was just a, hey can you help us out today we're a little short-staffed and um i think at that point i had been around high level wakeboarding enough that they kind of trusted that i could handle judging and uh so it was cool for me to be able to get involved in that and hang out with a lot of really experienced people in the industry like Tom Fouché and obviously hanging out with you all the time and uh, Andreas Voss from from Germany and there there was a lot of really cool people that have been in the sport for a long a long time that uh, were able to help me out with getting my feet wet and judging. How how hard is it to like show up at an event and have to judge your peers? <laughs> um, I, I I have a pretty okay time separating how I feel about people personally and, uh, and what's happening on the water. Um, it's not that challenging to me to look at things objectively and say, this person did this. And, but there are definitely times where you have to say, you know, I really want to see this guy do well, but he, he didn't do enough. So you got to go to the other people, but it, it can be challenging, but generally it's, it's all right. Separating it. You've always been the kind of guy who lets your work do the talking and your folks have always let you and your, you know, ride and do the talking where a lot of parents are super involved. I know your parents are always supportive of what you're doing, but I stand, I sit normally above the judge's tower and (laughs) I don't know that I've ever seen you or your family uh, come through and protest or complain about scoring or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So becoming a judge when you're judging hundreds of people thousands throughout a summer uh you're it, eventually you're gonna have to deal with that totally yeah so um what what are your, what were your thoughts on on that kind of stuff with uh you know over aggressive like parents and also just riders in general who are um kind of tight about the judging and, and questionable and stuff yeah i mean i i personally i i have kind of always just been at the idea of wakeboarding as as a subjective sport there's never a hundred percent right or wrong. It all comes down to what the judges want to see. So I've personally never really been one to get involved with protesting and stuff. And my parents have always been supportive of wakeboarding, but they never get too involved either. They just let me do my thing. And, um, so that's really cool to me. Um, but there definitely are times where people get, they're, they're really passionate about it and they want to see their kids do well, or they want to do well. Um, so it's understandable that people get upset over scoring and stuff, but 
Um, there's at the end of the day, I think you kind of have to just trust that the judges know what they're doing and that the, the staff is on point with it. Um, how do you deal with, with Riley parents? Uh, I, I generally will just, I'll tell people straight up the, the reasoning for it. I don't want to be, uh, hiding anything or make it seem sketchy. So I'll, I'll explain to people happily what, why I made the decision that I did for something. And I'll talk through it in depth and talk about what happened with the competitors or what happened with the, the rider and, uh, kind of go through and, and I'll, I'll talk trick by trick and, and compare things for them so that they can understand what went into the decision making. And, uh, generally I haven't, haven't changed my mind. Um, but I will listen to people talk about it and I'll explain my point of view as well. If you can remember what have been like some of the more challenging or more difficult situations to deal with. And obviously you don't have to like drop the names <laughs> in specifics. Uh, but I, you know, I, I, one thing I recall is us being in the Philippines and, um, you know, a monsoon blowing through and mm-hmm. us not getting to finish pro, but at the same time, like a bunch of the judges spent, um, you know, all night. I mean, we were there all night and I recall like a family, you know, who weren't like the kid had their best ride ever, but they didn't, but it, it compared to like what was going on in the tournament, it was the kid's best run, but mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily the one, winning run of the thing, but you guys had to deal with that. But what, what, yeah, I don't know, maybe that's the most uh, difficult thing you ever had to deal with or. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, there's actually that year there was another, another scenario. I won't, I won't say names, but, uh it was an adult rider that um was was unhappy with how things were judged and uh like i said i'll always explain my point of view and and i i do put a lot of thought into the decisions that we're making judging because at an event like the world championships it's a really big deal uh that that things turn out correctly and so i'm happy to talk to people always as long as they just handle it civilly and and talk to you and have a conversation um but you know there have been times like this one time in the philippines where people will start screaming at you and tell you that you have no idea what you're doing and you're not fit to be a judge and that doesn't really get you anywhere it doesn't do anything for changing a decision so i think it's totally acceptable to disagree with things as long as you're willing to have a conversation and hear people out going back to talking about cable and boat riding a lot of riders choose to either be a boat rider. A lot of riders choose to be a cable rider. You're elite on both ends, and you've proved it year after year by, um, you know, your credentials as as far as uh, the the Wakeboard World Series and the Wake Park World Series go. You've stayed consistent on both sides. Um, what what draws you to um, to be a part of both um, both aspects? So there's a few things. One is I think I was just exposed to to both disciplines like early on and and always kind of had the opportunity to ride both and they bring unique opportunities to the table of what you can do on the water and they both have such unique aspects of them that make them while a lot of stuff translates over, they're they're super unique in their own right and and to me one doesn't fully replace what the other provides. So I love getting out and riding cable as much as I love riding boat, um, regardless of what I'll spend more time riding throughout the year because that changes from time to time. But um, they each provide such 
different things that I, I love both and I would never want to choose one. Where do you see the momentum kind of right now? Is it more cable side or is it more boat side? Or uh, I mean, because I think a few years ago, you, you could argue that cable was gaining a little bit more momentum. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... I think depending on where you are in the world, that that answer changes a little bit. Um, if you go over to Europe, there are so many cables and so many cables popping up, and it's really really easily accessible. And there are so many high level riders on cable. Where over here in the U.S., there's you know there are a lot of cables, but they're a little more sporadically placed, and um, it it becomes a little bit of an accessibility issue for for some people. Where there are still more boats in the U.S. and places to ride boat than there are cables um so they're they're each definitely thriving in their own right um and there are a lot of riders that do both um but generally i would say the high level boat riding is thriving really really well here in the u.s and australia um and there are a lot of real cable loyalists in asia and europe and and even australia as well and some parts of the u.s too um but i would say boat definitely is is taking precedence right now in the u.s so with you having the access and the opportunity to watch like both sides of the thing of of um you know the disciplines and everything like that you look at like riders um and and we talk about guys who are loyalists to straight boat loyalists to straight cable um, obviously I do a whole lot more boat than I do cable. I usually announce like three, four cable events a year, but I'm doing 10, 12, 15 boat events. What would happen if a guy like Harley Clifford or a Corey Tunison were to, or even like a Tyler Hyam were to bring their skills to the wake park and put their efforts into that? I mean, what, what, how would that change the landscape or would it? It would definitely, I think most of the high level boat riders, are able if they put in some time to to be competitive on the cable there are definitely the people that really put in the time on the cable and and spend a ton of time riding and training they're they're next level just as harley and Corey and all those guys are on the boat um and it when when you dedicate your time solely to one side of it there's definitely an advantage and you thrive in that but that being said they're all so comfortable on the water that it can all translate relatively easily. And I know I've seen Harley ride cable quite a few times and he's, he's impressive. And Tyler is as well. He can do a lot of stuff, um, on rails and kickers and everything. So with, with people being willing to put in time in the other aspect, they can definitely be competitive. Why do you think that like some of the guys don't really uh, put that at, because I, I feel sometimes like uh, and, and going back just because they're on the top of my head you know like a Harley or, or a Corey I feel like they could pretty easily go out there spend a week hitting the kicker and probably land some stuff that is pretty gnarly even mm -hmm. to, you know to the most core uh, cable riders for sure yeah and I think it comes down to um, in the competitive season every year we have a pretty finite amount of time um, and it's, it can be really challenging to, to bounce between boat and cable events and other sponsor obligations and stuff, because in most places you have a three or four month span that it's warm enough to wakeboard. Um, so I think it becomes a time issue where if, if Harley wants to be competing at his highest level on the boat, he can't spend the time on the cable that he needs to, to be able to compete in, in cable events. Sure. 
I want to interject real quickly and give a nod to Active Water Sports. Jake and I actually recorded this episode in the Active Water Sports flagship store just before the 33rd Active Evening with the Stars event. There was a lot going on, so to stay out of the way, we actually recorded this episode in an old storage room filled with old advertising stuff and signs and banners and swag. Kind of had that broom closet feel. In fact, I think it was a broom closet, but hey, that's podcasting, baby. Active Water Sports has over 35 years of water sports industry experience selling everything from wakeboards, skis, and accessories to boats. They're dedicated to helping you make the best buying decisions possible to help fit your lifestyle and your budget. Head on over to www.activewake.com to browse their massive selection. Also, while you're online, check out their YouTube channel for some really great video content, including product reviews, tutorials, and the Active Water Sports documentary. Active Water Sports, they take your fun seriously. You are a rider who had aspirations and dreams to become a professional wakeboarder, which is a more than 40-hour-a-week job, I mean, I believe at the level that you're doing it. But after high school, you continued on with your education, and you went to school. You went to a pretty tough school, <laughs> and you graduate yet? I did, yeah. So you've, you've graduated from? From UCF. From the University of Central Florida. Um, talk a little bit about balancing school and riding and why you decided to continue on with your education instead of just focusing on riding and maybe coming back to it later? Yeah, so when I was in middle school and started wakeboarding a lot, I, I kind of had the idea that to be a pro wakeboarder, you either drop out of high school or graduate and don't go to school from then on out. Where would you get that idea from? Uh, <laughs> pretty much every wakeboarder that I knew. <laughs> I know Murray went to college for a little bit, but, uh, yeah, uh, I, I kind of just had that idea that that was what you did. You just, you stopped doing school and went full into wakeboarding. And, uh, that was not an option for me. My parents were not going to let that, uh, not, not going to let that fly. And I was bummed about it for a little bit, but once I kind of really got into high school and, um, at that point I started hanging out a lot with, a lot of the riders and um, the people that have been in the industry for a long time. And I kind of realized that I think I can probably handle a couple classes at a time and, and wakeboard as well. And so my first two years of college was mostly online at UCF. Um, and I started off just taking a couple classes and then I was like, well, I think I can handle a full load. And it ended up, it was challenging and it, it definitely takes some, some commitment to, to time management and everything. Um, but it's super doable and, and I've finished in four years and I'm really glad I did it. Cause now I have something to fall back on once wakeboarding isn't paying the bills anymore. So do you have like a general degree in anything? Or? I have a marketing degree. Yeah. And do you foresee yourself like using that at all? Or has that already started to, to come into play at all? Yeah, it's definitely come into play. I mean, they just a lot of the stuff I know now about, business and how it's run has come into play with you know how I conduct myself in wakeboarding or how I approach companies to start a new deal or something um, and and just learning what makes businesses profitable and how they're run and everything 
And I've been fortunate enough to, you know, kind of get to be involved in a lot of the behind the scenes at, at Ronix and get some experience as far as that goes. And uh, so I definitely think that the degree has come into play and will in the future with wanting to stay in water sports and, and do something in marketing. Do you foresee yourself um, working with, uh, with with a brand like Malibu or with, with Ronix in like a more marketing role in the future or... Um, like what's, what, what do you think the end goal is here as far as, um, like many, many more years as a rider, are you going to try to, um, kind of, uh, double do it at the same time? Yeah, I, I think kind of for now, I'm just rolling with it as it goes and I'm having a lot of fun wakeboarding, but I do eventually want to move into a marketing position somewhere in water sports. I'm not exactly sure what I want to be doing. Um, but I know that I love this industry and I want to stay involved in it even once pro wakeboarding is done. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure the direction I'm going, but I'm just kind of rolling with it as we go. And you you uh, still have plans to continue competing for a while? I do, yes. Is competition what's most important to you? No, the most important thing to me is getting people on the water. Um, I just I love to watch people learn to wakeboard for the first time or conquer their wake-to-wake jump or first flip, whatever it is. I like to see that stoke on people's faces and uh, and spread the joy that, you know, I love wakeboarding and I love it when people love wakeboarding. So I love being involved in all the Ronix demos and I spend a good portion of my summer in between events um, doing all the clinics and everything because to me that's the most important part is spreading what we're doing in this industry because it's really fun and we need to let people know that. If you drive through the city of Orlando, uh, you'll see lots of uh, billboards up around, and it's kind of a PSA, always wear your seatbelt. Um, and I know your family um, has a story behind it. I know your mom has been very involved with the movement. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, always wear your seatbelt, what it is, and what it means to you? Yeah, so um, in 2011... My sister and a few of her friends were headed to the beach for a beach day and uh, ended up getting in an accident. And uh, two of my sister's really close friends passed away. And uh, my sister was in the hospital with one of her friends for a while. Um, and it was a it was a a big incident that affected a lot of people. And uh, from that. Uh, the Always Wear Your Seatbelt Foundation was started. I mean, because, they were riders too, right? They like they they hung out at OWC with you guys. Yeah, yeah. So one of the guys that passed away, his name was Eddie Colberhouse. He worked at OWC for a while, um, and was in the wakeboarding industry and had been in it for a long time. So a lot of people in water sports were familiar with uh, everyone involved in the accident, and uh, so yeah, kind of stemmed from that. So how did the community come together? And, and I mean, because the initiative here we are, we're, you know, almost 10 years removed and there's more and more of these signs going up. And I know that, um, you know, I've gone to a, a few of the charity events over the years and um, to, uh, w- what's been happening with the movement? Where are you guys at and how involved are, y- are you guys still? Uh, yeah, my mom is is on the board and still involved a lot. Um, it, it was It was amazing to see everybody come together, whether it was just it started off as a Boone High School um, club and has expanded to most of the high schools in in Orlando area and there's even a school in Georgia that has a club 
Um, and, and the whole goal is spreading awareness of seatbelts can save lives. And um, so there have been wakeboard events that have been fundraisers and just a lot of different things that have gotten a, a huge variety of people involved. And it's been cool to see people get behind the movement of, you know, trying to stay safe because you never know when something's going to happen. Sure. Moving on, I want to talk about um, some of the guys um, who influence you. Um, obviously, Sean Murray is a huge influence. You've talked already about him. I want to talk about um, a close friend of mine, Eric Ruck, who yep. is kind of him along with like Chad Sharp, or I feel like two of the, the guys who really, uh, Brad Smela is another one. Yeah. Um, these guys took you under their wing over at Lake Ronix, you know, in its infancy right when it started. Um, talk about getting involved with those guys, and maybe if you can just give us a little bit on um, Eric and Chad and Brad. Yeah, so when I was... 14 probably uh, was the first time I went out to Lake Ronix and I just was helping with whatever they needed. Um, at that point, it was generally landscaping and cle clearing land out to make this place a wakeboard heaven. And uh, it was it was in its infancy there. Um, and that was the first time I was introduced to Brad Smaley, Eric Ruck and Chad. And, um, you know, I was I was kind of the the young Grom that was the go grab a bucket of water and water uh, these palm trees because they've just been planted. So I was doing that and, uh, you know, weed whacking here and there. And I remember the first time I ever really met everybody. Um, it was raining and I was watering palm trees and they were doing a Ronix team meeting and I was just helping out with working while they were doing their meeting. And Ruck called me up and was like, hey, kid, come up here and uh, get out of the rain. You don't need to be doing this in the rain. And that was when I was introduced to everybody on the team. And, you know, they've really become my family. And, um, you know, having having people like Ruck and Chad to, to look up to. I mean, Ruck is, as you know, the most laid back person on the planet. And uh, he's he's a social media guru and he's 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 taken on a lot of different hats and and has done an amazing job staying involved in wakeboarding after his professional wakeboarding career wrapped up and. Same with Chad. Chad is the most bulletproof work work ethic I've ever seen. Um, and being around those guys has just kind of shown me that it's a great industry to be involved in after your wakeboarding career is over as well. Um, and yeah, Brad Smaley was living out at Lake Ronix at the time that I first started going out there. And he was the same, any project that needed to be done, he was heading up. He had a whiteboard in his, his trailer set up of all the things that needed to get done at the lake and we would just check things off and he was the leader when he was out there and kind of the guys we need to get this going and he had experience in carpentry and and he was a great wakeboarder and it was cool to see how you can balance multiple aspects of the sport and uh and you know still be involved i want to i want to hear your thoughts on a tom fouché the king of the cable um you know, obviously Tom, liquid force guy, but a dude who also has taken you under his wing. Um, the respect between you guys, and I've seen it. Um, I, I, we've traveled the world together. Like, mm -hmm. I've literally traveled with you, <laughs> me, Tom Fouché, Gunther. I mean, it's been pretty crazy the last few years. But talk a little bit on uh, Tom Fouché and who he is to you. Yeah, Tom is Tom is awesome. He, he is a... Uh... 
he was the guy when I first started getting involved in cable. He was running the show, and and he was uh, he was the king of the cable for a reason. Um, but aside from his wakeboarding off the water, he is the man. He's the nicest guy you'll meet. He's same thing. He's always down to help. He judges all the time, um, and it's just a genuinely good example of being a good human being. And to me, that stands out so much more than you know him being the best cable rider in the world is he can do that as well as just be an awesome person and, and be nice to everybody he comes in touch with and uh his ability to give back man it's, exactly it's, it's unreal uh last name i just want to bring up here is uh, is gunther oka and obviously gunther is is like you or maybe you're like gunther you guys are the hybrid riders um you guys are the you guys uh bust your butts at these events on the water and off the water um, you know, I, I recall you guys were riding boat cable. Gunther was up announcing. You're <laughs> over there judging. Uh, it, it, it's it's nonstop. But I know you and Gunther have a pretty um, solid relationship. Um, talk talk about Gunther and you know uh, talk about Gunther. Um, you know your thought on him and kind of where he's taken uh, the sport right now. Yeah, I mean Gunther and I go back pretty far we rode in junior men together so at that point we were probably 14 um competing against each other and uh it it's been cool to kind of grow alongside each other in the sport and off the water um and it's been amazing to see his journey of i mean he's a competitive boat rider and he is arguably the best cable rider that there is right now and um his passion for the sport is just about unmatched and he puts in, he puts in a lot of time to make it work for him. And, um, it's awesome to see, you know, him succeeding with everything he's doing. And, and just the, the fact that, you know, we've come up together through junior men into junior pro men and now riding in pro men and getting to travel the world together to all these different events. And, uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I feel like Gunther is a guy who's helping bridge the gap between the boat and the wake park side of things. And obviously Tom Fouché, you know, being sponsored by a boat company and he's the king of the cable, but still, you know, Tom would come, he would ride at the boat events, but he would just do that to do that. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, I never saw, uh, Todd, Tom always rode great. Don't get me wrong, yeah, yeah. but Gunther is next level for sure on both sides do you think that gap does need to be bridged to help progress wakeboarding and if so is gunther that guy i definitely think that that gunther and and rafterome are the two riders that stand out to me the most of of bridging the gaps between the different aspects of wakeboarding whether it's urban winching cable boat they do it so so well at such an amazing level um, and to me, that is, that's where things should be headed is whoever is the most well-rounded wakeboarder. Um, I think that's, that's the way to keep the sport pushing, um, is by doing every facet of it and not being a diehard, this is right. And what you're doing is wrong. Um, and just kind of going with the flow. And if you're on the water, having a good time, do it. And I think Gunther is such a great example of, keeping things fun while competing at an insanely high level on the boat as well as the cable. I've noticed though, Gunther has this new sense of seriousness in him <laughs> as well. I mean, he's still, it, it, it used to take him, I used to never see him flip the switch from, you know, from chill Gunther to competitor. But nowadays I feel like sometimes, um, 
he's got a whole lot more pressure on him these days. Absolutely. When, when he has, has world titles behind him on the cable, there's some, there's some pressure there to defend that and, and keep his top spot. And he definitely has a, has a training and a, and a competing mode that he flips on when he needs to get stuff done. Um, but it, it's amazing because, you know, he, he can flip that switch and he's not always the serious, no fun guy when he's training, he's training. And when he's competing, he's there to win. But when we're off the water, he's still ready to have a good time and enjoy what we're doing, traveling the world. Absolutely, and, and having good times and traveling the world. Um, one story sticks out, and that was this trip uh, to the Philippines years ago. And I, I, I know we kind of talked about it at the top of this all. Um, we just done the Wake Park Worlds. It was gnarly. There were like four or five 12-hour days in a row, plus this monsoon blew in, right? And we had to push pro men finals um, from from six o'clock the, the day before until five in the morning uh, before we all had to f- fly out. Yeah, we um, had early flights that, that next morning. So We ended up in Manila with one of my friends who's a professional yo-yo player from the Philippines, and we're sitting at the hotel, and um, it's been you know a long week, and we've had travel, and we've gone to the mall in, mm-hmm. in the Philippines, but we weren't quite finished yet. We wanted to go... Okay, Tom Boucher <laughs> wanted to go and explore, but he had his boys, Dan of the Mano and um, and Jake Pilat and Gunther Oka and my buddy Hero yep. hanging out. And um, Hero recommended that we stay in the hotel. Yeah, yeah. Hero was not not excited about the idea of us wandering the streets of Manila at the the late hours of the night and early hours of the morning. But Tom wasn't going to let that happen. And on this trip, I mean, I, I don't know if you recall it, but one of the funny well first of all uh, if you if you can recollect i mean i remember seeing rats walking through the streets <laughs> biggest like the, rat i've ever seen well the yeah. streets were like bro- like broken right yeah yeah there were there were a lot of spots of there would just be a 8 foot hole in the sidewalk of who knows what and <laughs> oh to make this even better rodrigo Oh yeah, so he was, was with there. Us as so well. was I think Alex Allback might have been there as well. Uh, I mean, it, <laughs> it was it was a few of us and it was wild. But it, it, one of the funniest parts of the evening was that we're with Tom Fouché and we're in the middle of Manila in the Philippines and we end up in a cowboy bar. <laughs> <laughs> yep, because what else do you do in the Philippines than go to a Western cowboy bar, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, going through. Are there any other like crazy trips that that stand out to you over the past few years? Um. Yeah, the the world's trip to Japan last year was was an interesting one. I had I I think we left on a Wednesday night or Thursday morning maybe and I had to be back for school Monday. So it was a three and a half day trip to Japan and and we made the most of it. We it was me, Tyler Hyam, um Gunther and Megan Ethel and uh we we did Tokyo for a day and we really did our best to to make the most out of the the three and a half days we had there um that Philippines trip was was all time for sure and probably one of the sketchier oh absolutely yeah getting to (laughs) just wandering the streets seeing the chaos of of what Manila has to offer was was an experience definitely yeah well I'll never forget it for sure yeah it was great it was a lot of fun you just dropped the name Tyler Hyam and um you know we've uh a lot of this podcast we've talked about Ronix and your relationship there. Well, um, yourself and Tyler Hyam are now. Um, well, what do you? What do you? What, what you guys have a signature wakeboard together? Yes. So how do you? How do you refer to that? 
Uh, I mean, it's just, it's a project that Co-sig? we worked on. Yeah, the COSIG. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's the Supreme, right? Yeah. And coming off of, like, I, I have to say, like, Massey's board, the RXT, was probably one of the most talked about boards. For sure. Um, plus, you've got the Danny Harf 1 board in the line, which is always a board that, that it's going to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, where does where does the Supreme stand in it all? Talk about what went into this board, the mind of Jake Palat, the mind of Tyler Heim, who designed the board, what's the board for? I mean, you're a, a wake park and a boat rider. Uh, talk a little bit about it, what it means to have it. Yeah, so it all started about two years ago at this point, maybe maybe a little more than two years ago, um, with, with I basically called up Paul O'Brien and was like, hey, I feel like we're missing something in the line. And and so we, we had a lot of conversations between all of us about what we can do to, to bridge the gap that I felt we were missing in the line. And uh, so we ended up coming up with the idea of what if we try this board with a three-stage rocker in the edges and a continuous rocker through the belly and try out some funky new cores and see what happens. And there was a lot of prototyping, a lot of long phone calls just talking through good ideas and bad ideas and what works and what doesn't and I'll tell you what the first prototype we got was awful and I was really worried it was leading nowhere um but we ended up you know Jason Stanley is is our head shaper at Ronix and he was willing to just keep trying things and listen to our feedback and he didn't know what was going to happen with the board Paul didn't know what was going to happen and we were all just like let's see if this works. And if it doesn't, we'll figure something out, but let's stick with our guns on this one and see if we can make this hybrid rocker line work out. Um, and it ended up being a really cool project and we had a lot of people involved in the R and D and people of all skill levels testing it out to make sure that it was going to be something that not only pro riders can jump on and be comfortable, but if it's your first time on a wakeboard, you can be all right on it. Um, and that was a big thing for both Tyler and I was having something that isn't going to pigeonhole a rider to a certain style. Um, and it worked out really well and it was a really cool project to be a part of. And what makes this unique for us was we had a lot of time. We were ahead of the ball on the prototyping process. So there was never a rush of, we have to finish this now. We can't make any more changes. It was always, what do we do next? And we ended up taking the board one step further than we needed to and said, all right, that didn't work. Let's bring it back to what we had before because that was awesome. And, uh, that's where we are. So, so who is this board for? Um, like I said, kind of our whole goal was if you're just starting to jump the wakes, it'll work for you. If you're a high level rider, it'll work for you. And the reason is having a three stage rocker in the edges gives you a flat spot that sends you straight up and down off the wake if you're holding your edge really hard. But with a continuous rocker through the belly, it's a really predictable release off the wake if you're just riding flat, if you're a little afraid of the wake. How does it ride on the cable or is it? It's fun, it's it's not our flexiest board in the line. The idea was we designed a boat board and it has a slider base for that person that wants to go ride the cable a few times a year, but doesn't want to invest in a whole separate setup. Um, and I've been is riding it, what, it. Does Tyler ride it at the cable or do you ride at the cable or are you? I ride it on and off at the cable. Um, I, I like it. it. It doesn't have any crazy channels or anything on the bottom. So it handles rails well. Um, but like I said, it's not as flexy as all of our flex boards because it was designed as a boat board. So for your, for your strictly cable rider, they're not going to love it. 
but it works great for that rider that goes to the cable, you know, a handful of times a year and, and doesn't have the need for a whole different setup. Very good. All right. We'll watch out for that. Hey, to close it out here, man, if there's, um, if you were to say that there's like one moment in your career so far and dude, you're young in your career and I feel like you've got many, many more years ahead of you, but if there's like one standout moment, high end achievement that uh, you've accomplished at this moment, what would that be? Um, I mean, winning rookie of the year on the pro wakeboard tour in 2017 was, was pretty awesome. I was, I was really excited about that, but I think really the, the, biggest wins for me are are seeing people love wakeboarding so every time somebody does that I'm more amped than I've ever been about winning any award or anything so as long as people are still loving wakeboarding I'm stoked very good all right Mr. Reliable this is the time the three s's shout outs sponsors social media what do you got all right shout outs obviously my parents have been extraordinarily supportive um since i fell in love with wakeboarding and and just through life they're awesome um mike ferraro has been really influential for me eric rock chad sharp you have taken me under your wing as well dano um tom fouché has has definitely shaped myself on and off the water and uh my best friend aaron perkins for sure um sponsors i want to thank ronix um, Flow Grown, my clothing sponsor, and Performance Ski and Surf for supporting me since I was a youngin. And uh, what was the third S? Social media. <laughs> Come on, that now. one. You had ten thousand yet? Almost. I'm I'm close. You're getting um, there. So Instagram. I think actually all my social medias are just Jake underscore Palat. So you can find me on there. I'm definitely most active on Instagram. Hey, what's the craziest anybody's like ever pronounced your last name? Ooh, I get a lot of pilos, a lot of uh, a lot of pilots. It's it's usually pretty tame. You know, one of the craziest things a couple of days ago, somebody pronounced it right first try, and that was pretty insane because that never happens. Yeah, you're you're <laughs> one of those guys. I was probably thought it was like French or something. I was like Jake Pelo or something like that. Yeah, and- I I think it is. My my heritage is definitely French, but I think it's kind of just been Americanized to Palat sure. at this point. So yeah, well, it, sometimes it takes the uh, families quite a bit of time to walk up to the tower and have the the guts to be like, hey, Mano. <laughs> this is how you actually see our name. It took Parker Siegley's family like four or five years. <laughs> but Jake, I want to thank you so much for being here, man. You're you're a good dude. You've been a great friend. Hey, uh, big congratulations on winning Best Crash at Feet on Fire this last year. Thank you. That's an accomplishment that I will never forget. It's hanging up on my wall. That's right. ski. So coming into 2020, that's going to be your third. You, you coming back for a third try? I'm absolutely coming back for a third try. My goal this year is a little different. I don't want to win Best Crash. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, d- I definitely am going to get my foot on leading up to it so I can, I can get some practice in and make that step that got me this year. You know what they say? 52 weeks, 52 footers, brother. Actually, <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm the only one who says that, but if you do it, I think you'd win. I think if you say it, it comes to reality. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, if I, like if you... I can get five or 10 foots in before, I'll just tell myself it was 52 and we'll be good to go. Yeah. If I can get, well, Ruck takes none. If I can get two or three, I'm happy. But <laughs> there it is. All right, guys, Jake Pilat again. Thank you so much, brother. Yeah. Thank you, Dana. This is awesome. All right, guys, we'll be right back with just a little bit more right here on the Golden Mike podcast, baby. Dig it. Oh yeah. Hey, are you experienced hard times? Well, the lake, 
Well, there's no secret the world of wake sports is currently under attack. Let's be proactive when it comes to riding and the future of our sport. It all comes down to education, etiquette, and empathy. We're all responsible for our own wake, so remember the three rules of respect while riding, especially early in the morning and at sunset. Stay 200 feet away from anything and everything, especially docks and shorelines. Keep the music at reasonable levels and minimize running the same shoreline pass over and over. If you hear of any lakes near you being threatened, the WSIA can offer you all the tools needed to fight these battles. Start with your local boat dealer, though, and make sure that they're already WSIA members themselves. That ensures they'll follow the Wake Responsibly initiative and help keep your lake safe. You can find all the resources you need at WSIA.net and WakeResponsibly.com. While you're over there, please take the compliance exam and get your free Wake Responsibly sticker to display proudly on your boat's windshield. Let's do our part to keep the sport we love thriving. The Golden Mike Podcast is back with the noise of the north, Dano the Mano, presented by Sea Deck Marine Products. Well, that was our interview with Mr. Reliable, Jake Pilat, and I want to thank him so much for stopping by and sharing his time with us. Jake has a lot going on for him within the industry, and although he's young, He's been able to collect so many great experience, which will no doubt help him no matter what direction he goes. My hope, though, he sticks around this industry for a long time because hard workers like Jake, G-S-D, they get done. If you guys are interested in what I'm doing coming up, though, on January 25th, I'll be in downtown Orlando, Florida, announcing the Step Up Productions All-Star Wakeboard Rail Jam at Thornton Park right next to Lake Eola. Actually, the event is the Hullabaloo Outdoor Music Festival, the first annual, and it's going to be headlined by Eve Six and Sugar Ray, so pretty much can't wait to open up for those guys. Hey, throw in some professional wakeboarders like the Harris Brothers, Brandon and Josh, Cody Hessen to the mix, and you know it's going to be a great time. Hope to see you out there. After that, February should be a pretty mellow month. Going to be hanging out around Central Florida, hopefully recording some more episodes for you guys. Then I'm off to Lake Tahoe, California, for Water Sports Industry Association Summit 2020. That's February 25th through the 26th. The next day, I'm flying to the Midwest up to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm going to be heading up a little bit more north to the WWSF Wisconsin Water Ski Convention and Expo, aka Annual Think Tank up in Wisconsin Dells. If any of you are in the area, don't be afraid to stop by, say hi. There might even be some swag in it for you because we'll be up there promoting Twin Lakes Corn Fest. I'll be back in Florida by March 12th for the Beach and Boards Festival in Cocoa Beach. I'll be announcing the annual Billabong Rail Jam right there behind the world-famous Ron John Surf Shop and behind the beach, and we'll see where things go from there. Thank you all for listening. An enormous thank you to the sponsors of this podcast for their continued support. Thanks to SeaDeck Marine Products, Active Water Sports, Centurion Boats, WSIA, Roswell Marine, 
Boulder Boats Master Line. Wake responsibly. O'Brien, Lead Wake, Slingshot, Conley, Ronix, Hyperlight, and Go Puck. Behind the scenes, special thanks to Jane Levy in the office, Arthur Shabba Shabich on copy, and Rich Walsh on the sound. That's it. That's all for me, folks. Reminder, you can follow me on Facebook at the Golden Mike Podcast, on Instagram at Dano T. Mano. Message me there or at Golden Mike at noiseofthenorth.com. I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening. Again, I'm the Noise of the North. I'm Dan Lamano, and you can hear me next time right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. <laughs>